0: Welcome to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. I'm your host, Sharon Betters. Our vision at Mark Inc. is to offer the help and hope of Jesus, but especially to broken people. Today's guest in the podcast is Jennifer Greenberg, and she shares our passion for offering this help and hope because she knows the isolation and grief of abuse and very sadly at the hands of her church-going father. In our conversation, in this very difficult topic, Jen doesn't flinch in talking through how she wanted to kill herself when she was 15 because her father's abuse intensified during her adolescence. She takes us along on her journey toward healing and purpose, addressing such questions as why doesn't an abuse victim speak up sooner? What are the residual issues of abuse into adulthood? How to come alongside a person who has been abused as a helper. And what about forgiveness? Not only is Jennifer, a wife, a mother and musician composer, she authored not forsaken a life after abuse and offers other abuse victims help through many resources on her website. I'll share how you can connect with Jennifer at the end of our conversation. And we'll include that information in our show notes. Thank you, Jennifer, so much for sharing the deep parts of your journey with us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Sharon. I really appreciate
0: being here. You have quite a story, an abuse survivor, which I mean, that in itself is, is huge. Mm-hmm. You are a Christian, you are a stay-at-home mom, and now you are an author. In fact, your book, uh, Not Forsaken, I have read the book And I love it. And I'm hoping that our conversation is going to be like salty peanuts that hear us and say, I've got to get more. And I recommend that you go out and get Jen's book. It's called Not Forsaken, A Story of Life After Abuse, How Faith Brought One Woman from Victim to Survivor. And I just, before we get started, I just want to speak to those who are listening. If you were attracted to this because you saw that word abuse And you may be in a really dark, broken place right now. Jen and I are praying for you and praying Mm -hmm. that something in our conversation is going to encourage you and just break the ache in your soul just for a little bit as you seek help. So Jen, this is a really painful topic. And I read your book, I just wept over some of the descriptions of the abuse that you experienced. Can you Tell us a little bit about what that abuse was and how would you define
1: abuse? Sure. Abuse exists on a spectrum and there's different types of abuse. I experienced psychological abuse, which kind of is an umbrella term for emotional abuse, verbal abuse, spiritual abuse. I also experienced domestic violence, sexual abuse, and of course, much of this occurred when I was under the age of 18. And so it was child abuse. But I would say that in the, in the Bible, the Bible doesn't necessarily use terms like abuse, and it certainly doesn't say domestic violence or sexual assault, but it will, uh, it will talk about sexual sins and it will talk about cruelty and deception, you know? So when we talk about someone who say, for example, an emotional abuser who plays mind games, they manipulate you, they deceive you, they kind of mess with your head, they confuse you and overwhelm you and tell you that you're not worth anything or that you'll never be good enough. Um, When really you're a person who's created in the image of God and it's not about you being good enough. It's about Jesus Christ loving you and, and being good enough for you. And so when someone puts that weight on you, to measure up to some impossible standard or unreasonable standard, what they 're doing is uh, they're devaluing you they 're really telling God that he's not good enough because I mean, who are they to say that someone who he created that someone who he loves and that he died for isn't isn't good enough What does that mean? you know I would say that like I said before, abuse exists in a spectrum, and so I've talked to people who were only experiencing psychological abuse, and they will be suffering from things like anxiety or panic attacks or depression. They'll feel trapped. They'll feel kind of emotionally suffocated, but they can't pinpoint like, oh, he hit me or he threw something at me or he did this or that. That doesn't necessarily mean it's not abuse, right? There's criminal abuse that you can call the police and the police can take that person to jail. But then there's there's serious sins that can really over time, break you down and destroy you on a on a psychological and emotional spiritual level. Those are sins where the church really needs to step in and say, you know this is this is wrong what you're doing, this is abuse, and unless you repent, you are not you're not saved, you know to that abuser, I mean, um, because you know, no one who's repentant, no one who loves God is going to treat one of his children like that. And so in my own life, you know, I juggled differentiating, and it was kind of like peeling an onion. There are the really extreme situations where my dad shoved me into a wall or threw a plate at me or hit me. But then there was just, you know, the slow, degrading insults and perverted comments and, just the way he looked at me was dehumanizing so yeah big big spectrum but no abuse is too small to matter or too small for god to see these sins are are sins against us but they're also sins against god and i find that very comforting your dad was a church going father yes
0: did you ever ask for help did you just Take this abuse? I think that's one of the questions that mm-hmm. people have never experienced this kind of abuse. Are uh, It's in the forefront of, but she was 16 or 17, or okay. why didn't she speak up? Why didn't she try to get help? Why yeah. do abuse victims
1: suffer in such isolation and loneliness often? Absolutely. That's a great question. I think there's probably two different reasons. Generally speaking, I mean, there's probably thousands of reasons, but two that I am personally familiar with. The first reason is that when you grow up in an abusive home, you think it's normal. And so when you're used to someone treating you a certain way, used to someone flying off the handle and hitting you, it doesn't occur to you to tell anyone because you think everybody lives like that. And so there's there's a lot of confusion. It's kind of like I liken it to. When you're in a really dark room, your eyes kind of acclimate to that darkness in the same way when you're in a very spiritually dark relationship or a dark family home, um, you acclimate to that darkness and it doesn't, you don't realize how dark it is until you walk out into the sunlight and then your eyes are like, oh, wow, that was, that's bright, you know? And abuse for me was that way. It wasn't until I married my husband, Jason, that I realized how bad my childhood had been. And the other element of it is just the fear and the humiliation, particularly with sexual abuse. It's embarrassing to tell, say, a pastor or really anybody something sexual about yourself um, or that happened to you and how you felt in that moment. It makes you very vulnerable. And of course, when you've already been forced to be vulnerable, there's a lot of trauma wrapped around that, and you don't want to be vulnerable. And of course, there's also fear. If you are financially or emotionally dependent upon your abuser, or if you're afraid that your abuser might retaliate against you for telling, there's a huge fear element, So it's very complicated, you know, for any pastors, counselors, friends watching, I would just say, be that safe place. If you suspect someone is being abused, um, you can go to them and just say, hey, you know, if you ever need help, if you ever need support, prayer, just someone to listen, I'm here. I won't judge you. I, you know, I sense that you're going through a hard time. And, you know, even if you don't want advice or even if you don't want to talk, even if you just want someone to sit with you and cry, I'm here, you know? So providing that safe space is, is a good way to kind of disarm a lot of the, the fear and, and humiliation that, that keeps abuse victims from speaking.
0: How did the abuse affect your marriage? How can the spouse of that abused spouse, mm. help them in sorting through and processing. For instance, you said all of a sudden I realized this was not normal. So yeah. how I can imagine the impact that had on your relationship to your husband?
1: Yeah, it was rough. I mean, poor Jason. You know, it's he's he was just a guy in his early to mid twenties, um, and all of a sudden he uh, realizes that his wife has PTSD, and and her dad is a violent sexual predator. And it's, it was, I'm sure for him, it was, well, and he had just become a Christian at the time when we were married, he'd only been a Christian for, I want to say a couple months. And so he had to do some spiritual maturing real fast, but he did a great job. And I think one of the most important things he did for me was he would just listen. He would be angry for me You know, one thing that we, um, I think often as Christians, we, we kind of fear getting angry because we don't want to sin. But for me as an abuse victim, it was so comforting to share my story and have someone get mad for me. I mean, we're talking righteous anger, you know, like when Jesus talks about the millstone that he's, you know, it would be better for a millstone to be tied around an abusive person's neck and for them to be thrown into the sea rather than to meet me after they've caused one of my little ones to stumble. Jesus has righteous anger. And so seeing Jesus in my husband's anger was hugely validating and comforting for me. And I think in part because I was so tired. I was so emotionally wrung out. And I felt like I needed to be angry at all the evil that I'd experienced, but I was just overwhelmed and distraught. And so to have someone else be angry for me, it kind of took some of the burden off me. Like, I'm not the only one going through this. I'm not the only one who has to respond to this or process this. And we're in this together.
0: And I think that's one of the bigger issues is that loneliness, the isolation. And even though you may not recognize as a child, Mm -hmm. exactly what is wrong, something doesn't feel right. But that loneliness that is there, and it's so critical to know that there's someone else who cares. And I love the way you've described that. And uh, for you, those of you who are listening, I am hoping that you'll want to hear more from Jen about this. She speaks more of this in her book called Not Forsaken. About her marriage and the way that her husband was able to come alongside of her and comfort her, and very specific ways that would be helpful for you to know about, especially if your spouse has been abused in any way. So, you talked about some of the ways that we can help victims of abuse. What do you think are some of the challenges that, if I have a friend who Mm -hmm. has suffered the kind of abuse that you have, and I'm thinking of someone right now, and Mm -hmm. I was young. It was very hard to know how to uh, be a good friend without sure. having gone through a similar situation.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say that, you know, Sharon, you've, you've been through so much yourself. One of the things I, I talk about in the beginning of the book is about how different types of abuse, you know, it's like different types of weapons. If we're injured, say, by a knife, we have a cut, or if someone has a bullet wound, they might also have a cut. So it's two different weapons, but that pain, that stinging pain and the way that doctors are going to treat that injury, you know, there's going to be slight variations, but it's generally the same, you know, you've got an open wound. And so, you know, no matter what you've been through, whether it's a divorce or financial hardship, or maybe someone you love dearly died Maybe you've suffered cancer, or you know whatever it may be. We all know what it feels like to grieve, and when you're an abuse survivor, or when you're a victim in kind of that ground zero phase, really you're experiencing a kind of grief because you're experiencing the loss of a relationship. You know, maybe someone hasn't physically died, but they, uh, they, but you're acknowledging that they are spiritually dead, or that your relationship with them has died or suffered a mortal, a mortal wound. And so there is a grieving process. And, you know, we're going to go through those stages of grief, the anger, the depression, the anxiety, the sense of abandonment and loneliness. And I think the hardest part is the what ifs, you know, what if my dad had chosen to be a good person? What if he had genuinely loved me? in the way that that God desired him to. What if he had loved God enough to actually obey God and behave like a godly man? And so there are lots of what ifs, and we grieve those. We grieve the loss of the life that we should have and that we thought we were going to have. And so I would just say, you know, take whatever pain you've experienced and Remember that what that was like and just sit with that person and be ready to listen. And I think the biggest part too is, you know, as Christians, people who are in the throes of grief will say things like, God hates me or God has abandoned me. And our instinct sometimes is to argue. And I think sometimes they're not saying what they believe like they might think that they believe that but i think deep down inside that they know that god is loving and that god is faithful they're just processing a massive trauma and they're expressing that and so one of the best things we can do instead of arguing is to just listen and weep and hug them if that's appropriate just being with them because i think that really answers so many more questions words, if you're willing to sit with a person and listen and love them and be patient with them, you're telling them that God, that Jesus Christ will sit with them and listen and be patient. And so just being there, it's better than any argument. thats
0: I love that, the way that you're expressing that. That's beautiful. I'm thinking about myself when our 16-year-old son, Mark, and his friend, Kelly, were in a fatal car accident. And some of the things that I said, my sister years later said I was waiting for lightning to strike. She said it <laughs> terrified me because of things I was saying, but she didn't argue with me. She just let me dump it all out. And I think about the psalmist who said, I will yet praise you. And I took such great hope in that because I felt it like he was saying, I know what I'm saying is crazy. I will get to the point where I will be praising you. Yeah. And it's a relief to be able to just pour it out, that lamenting.
1: absolutely running to him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's good too, to note that, you know, some of those, those Psalms, those lamenting Psalms, it wasn't like the poet just sat down and processed his whole experience in, in five minutes. He's encapsulating a process that probably took him a decade or more. He's just kind of boiling it down to a nugget sized poem. But that process, getting from that broken place to that, I will yet praise you, probably took a long time. You know, one of the most comforting stories, actually, there's two. There's the story of Joseph when he forgives his brothers. And then there's the story of Esau when he forgives Jacob. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, we're reading these little chapters in the Bible. We think, oh, Jacob betrayed Esau. And then up two, three chapters later, whatever it is, uh, they're forgiven. It's all good. But there's a span of decades in between that. And so we have to be patient with ourselves. We can't rush recovery or rush forgiveness. And we certainly shouldn't rush reconciliation because you know, if there's anything abusers want, it's for us to trust them when we should not, and so we need to be we need to give ourselves the patience that our abuser did not. We need to give ourselves that patience and grant ourselves the space to heal and mm-hmm. let God take that time because you know, it's like the psalmist said, "You knit me together in my mother's womb." That takes nine months. Well. If you have a broken heart, it's gonna take a while for God to knit you back together too. And that's okay. And so when we rush ourselves, or we think, oh gosh, why am I not over this? Why can't I, you know, why can't I just be happy again? And we can't rush God. God's working in our hearts, and, and that's a beautiful and albeit painful thing. But man, when you get to the other side and you realize how much stronger you are and how much stronger your relationship with God is. The decisions you can make when just being a parent or picking friends or picking a new church or whatever decisions you're making in your life, the things you learn because you took the time to patiently recover I mean, it's, it's really invaluable.
0: And that's good for those who wouldn't come alongside a broken friend to remember too, to give them space and give them time and encourage them. It's going to take time. Thinking about you as a child, your father is a church going, probably respected in the church.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You, you know that at home things are not right. Something isn't right. Or you're yeah. experiencing a lot of pain. As you're growing older and you're understanding faith more, why didn't you say, God, I, I don't know where you are. I don't know who you are. I don't trust mm-hmm. you. My father's supposed to be like you. I don't want anything to do with you. Here you are, a woman of faith. These many years later, how how did that
1: happen? Honestly, because I did say those things. I wrestled with God, just like Jacob, just like Jonah, just like Job. You know, I argued with God, and I you know I told God, you know, I don't feel like you love me. I feel like you abandoned me. I went through a, a period, particularly in what I call the ground zero phase of recovery, that's the phase where you're just kind of in shock about what's happened. You're dealing with the fallout. You know, it's like a bomb blast has gone off. You're confused, you're disoriented. You're trying to figure out where all your injuries even are. And then of course, everybody around you is also affected. They're also injured in various ways. And so there's this ground zero phase when you're just confused. And I went through this period for about, oh, it was at least a year. It might've been two years where I did not think that I was a Christian. I really felt that the Bible was this big book of promises that were not intended for me. And I had this idea, this horrible, horrible, terrifying idea. What if I loved God, but it was somehow an accident and God didn't love me. and I believed in him and I prayed and I had faith, but for whatever reason, that wasn't, I wasn't part of his plan and it terrified me. And it wasn't really until I started seeing the signs of recovery in my life that I realized, oh, God is here. He's actually healing me, you know, just because I can't see him or hear him or feel him doesn't mean he's not real. You know, and just because my abuser is unfaithful doesn't mean my my God is unfaithful. And even just because I'm unfaithful doesn't mean that God's going to be unfaithful. You know, we read about Jesus seeking out the wandering sheep or the wandering lamb. Lambs wander for many different reasons. Sometimes it's their own foolishness, their own sin. Other times there's been a wolf in the pasture and the lamb fled. And so Jesus patiently seeks out those lost lambs. And I think until, you know, I had to do a little running, I had to get really scared and I had to, you know, get to that crag in the rock and feel alone and feel scared before I realized that his hands were around me and he was actually holding on to me. And so, you know, we wrestle in these moments, but I think that as with Jacob and as with Job, those times of wrestling can actually be the most fruitful in our lives. You know, one thing I was thinking about recently is, you know, Peter, when he walks out on the water, right? And then he sees the storm and the the waves and the deep fathom. Below him, just empty water, and goodness knows how deep that water was. He takes his eyes off Christ. But, you know, I think, that, I think that his faith was the weakest when he actually walked out on the water and he thought, hey, I got this. That's when his faith was the weakest because he was actually looking at his own ability to walk on the water. Hey, Jesus, let me come join you. But when he sank, when he felt fear, that's when his hand reached up and said, Jesus, help me. That's when his faith soared because he realized he was going to drown if Jesus didn't pull him up. And so these times of darkness, these times in the storm, they're horrible. And I'm not undermining that. But God uses them despite the evil people around us. You know, it's like when uh, what Joseph said to his brothers, you intended evil against me, but God used it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so God reaches down into that ocean and he pulls us out of Our trauma, out of other people's sin, out of the grips of death and fear and danger, up into His arms, and that's the story. It's not all the bad things that happened to me. I mean, they're the backdrop. They're like the storm for Peter. The real story is how Jesus reached into that storm and pulled me out. And I'm just, I'm just grateful and overwhelmed that we have a God who reaches into the storm.
0: What a beautiful picture. I love the richness of what you're sharing about Peter and his moment of strength. We define weak faith as if we're questioning. And I've learned in my own losses that actually, when we're questioning and we're wrestling, I think that's a sign of very strong faith because we're, we're facing him, we're going to him, we're running to him. And friends, as you're listening, I pray that you will get that message that. The father's love is there waiting for you. And he does mm-hmm. say, oh, taste and see that I am good. And he will not reject you in your brokenness or your questions or mm-hmm. any of that. In fact, he welcomes He welcomes those questions. He's not afraid of them. We're going to be wrapping up in a few minutes, Jen. But let's talk about forgiveness mm-hmm. for a few minutes because bitterness is the opposite of mm-hmm. Forgiveness, or at least the fruit of not forgiving. So talk to sure. us a little bit about how you have wrestled with forgiveness. What does it look like? What doesn't it look like? What does it mean for you?
1: Yeah, I really, this was probably, I think, of all the spiritual struggles I went through, this was probably the biggest. And the reason is because there's so much just shallow and poor doctrine in the church about forgiveness, which is really sad because our entire faith christianity is based upon repentance and forgiveness and if we don't understand those things what are we doing <laughs> but there is so much misunderstanding the first thing and this is really common i've learned is that abusers and and often well-intentioned christians as well will try to rush forgiveness they'll say oh well you know he said he's sorry you got to you got to tell him It's okay. You gotta tell him. You know he's forgiven, and you know chop chop. And uh, that's not biblical at all. So, you know, I think one of the problems. Well, there's there's a lot of different problems, but one of the problems is that we're holding victims to the same standards as God Himself fills. You know, when God forgives us, it's not just like. I forgive you this time. Hopefully you don't screw up again. His forgiveness is total. And not only does he reconcile with us, but he also reaches into our hearts and softens our hearts. I don't know about you, but I can't do that. (laughs) So as a human being who cannot read another person's mind, who cannot soften another person's heart, who certainly cannot save someone else, it is not fair. To ask me to quickly reconcile with someone simply because they say that they're sorry—it's not practical, it's not wise, and frankly, it's not biblical. You know, the Bible talks a lot about deception and about hypocrites and false teachers and about wolves in sheep's clothing. These people exist, and so one of the things that we really need to do—not just for the sake of, of abuse victims and survivors, but just for ourselves. Because frankly, if we don't understand forgiveness, then we don't understand our Bibles. Forgiveness takes time and it takes a lot of wisdom. And, you know, say, for example, we define forgiveness as letting go of our anger. Well, say, for example, someone is in a situation where there was a burglary and they got shot or they got stabbed and they're angry and they're in a lot of pain. And what would it mean if we walked up to that person while you've got this gaping wound and they're bleeding and we said, you know what, you need to, you need to let go of that anger and forgive that burglar because this is what Christians do. Nobody would ever do that. And the same thing when we're dealing with a situation of abuse, this person's heart has been broken. We need to remember that that's like a physical injury. Okay. We may not be able to see it. It may not be gushing blood or need stitches. But it needs spiritual healing. It needs God to mend us back together. And so it's going to take time. A few red flags that I think are really important to understand. Abusers will try to rush forgiveness. And they do this, I think, generally speaking, for one very important reason. They don't want you to process anything. They don't want you to take the time to think things over. They don't want you to analyze your situation, to analyze their motivations, to get counsel from others. They want you to hurry up and forgive them and trust them when you shouldn't. And so that's a huge red flag. So if someone is rushing you to forgive, I would say at the very least, well, it's always a red flag, but at the very least, this is a person who doesn't understand trauma and doesn't understand how to help you in a way that is spiritually helpful. And so I would say, you know, if it's a pastor or a fellow Christian, not an abuser, you can kind of take their advice with a grain of salt. You know, maybe this is a young Christian. It doesn't really matter how old they are. Maybe they're just not spiritually mature enough to deal with what you're dealing with. So that's a red flag. If someone tries to rush you, the other thing is guilt tripping. And for example, my abuser said, if you were really a Christian, you would forgive me. And if you don't forgive me, Jesus won't forgive you. Well, I'm here to tell you that if Jesus loves you, there's nothing you can do that's that get in the way of his love. You just can't. It's like, it would be like, I don't know. I mean, like our sin compared to his grace, as horrible as our sin is. And as horrible as our trauma feels, by the way, they're not the same thing. Trauma is not sin. It is not a sin to feel pain or fear or sorrow. But of course, sometimes we express our pain in sinful ways. You know, I deal with that with my kids. A lot of times, you know, they get upset and uh, they throw the TV remote at their sibling or something. And I got to say, you know what, sweetie, I get why you're angry and it's very frustrating when technology doesn't work but we have to express our anger in a healthy way and so i deal with this a lot your emotions are not sinful it's how we express them that may or may not be sinful but regardless there is nothing you can do that is going to hinder the love of jesus it's like saying that well what if i can stop the ocean Or stop a tsunami. It's like, you know, yeah, I get that you're hurting. And I get that you have a healthy view of how serious your sin is. But it is nothing compared to the love and mercy of God. And so don't let anybody ever tell you that your anger, your sorrow, your grief, your trauma is going to get in the way of Jesus. He literally arose from the dead, y'all death could not get in his way. Your trauma is not, I mean, it's not even a speed bump for him. So again, when we have people telling us, if you don't forgive me, Jesus won't forgive you. That's a big red flag. That person is at the very best. They are extraordinarily unwise. And so we shouldn't take their opinion or their words seriously, but at the very worst, they're an abuser who wants you to trust them. They're trying to trick you into trusting them when they don't deserve your trust. You know, trust is earned. We can respect others. We can be kind to others. We can, we can be loving towards others, but we don't have to trust everyone. And sometimes it's wise not to. In fact, very often it's wise not to. And so just give yourself permission to not trust people who don't deserve your trust and let God take that time to heal you. I really appreciate what you said about
0: Esau and Joseph, that it was years of Mm -hmm. years of processing. And of course they were, they didn't have to face those that hurt them all those years, but their lives went on. They had fruitful lives, especially with Joseph but it's a hard journey. And I would suggest that those of you who are listening, who are struggling with this, look for a biblical counselor who, mm-hmm. as Jenna said, is experienced with trauma counseling. We at Mark Inc. Ministries have started Anchored Hope Biblical Online Counseling, where you can browse the counselors and choose a counselor or say, look, I'm an abuse victim and I need help in that area. And we can match you up with Biblically Trained Biblical Counselors. That's at Anchored Hope. Uh, Go to markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you can check us out, Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling. Jen, as we wrap up, I'd like for you to speak to that person who has not been able to move beyond the abuse, is Mm -hmm. living with all the consequences, but is listening to you and saying, I really want whatever it is that has helped her find a life of purpose and joy and completion. How do I get there? So could you sure. just speak to that person?
1: You know, Sharon, would it be okay if I just pray with that person? Yes. Yeah. absolutely. Dear Lord, I would ask that no matter who is, who is listening today, there are, there is someone, there are people here who from the foundation of the world you knew that they would hear this podcast and you intended it for them, for their encouragement. Lord, that is mind-blowing. Please, Lord, I would just ask that you help them to realize that they're not abandoned by you. They're not unloved. They're not forgotten. Because from the foundation of the world, you planned things like this for me and Sharon to get together and to discuss sin and and repentance and your gospel and forgiveness and what it means to be wise about dangerous people and hypocritical people. Lord, you planned this for them. Lord, what an awesome privilege and just mind-blowing, humbling mercy it is that you work all things together for the good of those who love you. And I know, Lord, I was, I was talking to a sweet young abuse victim just the other day. She was talking about how weak she feels that her faith is, how she feels that she hasn't lived up to uh, your standards, that, that she's made so many mistakes that she's been afraid. to to read the Bible. She's felt too depressed and too anxious to even attend church, Lord. And it is such an agonizing place to be, Lord. And I think so many people have been there. But the truth is, Lord, that after all we've been through, whether it be the death of a loved one, or betrayal, or child abuse, or maybe a spouse cheating on us, After all we've been through, the fact that we are still clinging to you is proof that you are in our hearts, that your spirit is holding on to us. Because Lord, if it were up to us, we would have completely lost our faith a thousand times over. Lord, the Mm -hmm. fact that we're still clinging, the fact that we still desire that relationship with you, the fact that we still want your love. And long for for a better life where your grace can be felt and seen more poignantly. Lord, the fact that we desire these things is proof that you are working on us, that you're holding on to us, that you're mending our hearts back together. And Lord, that's such a shocking dichotomy to us because when we are weak, that's when you're strong. And your mightiest work, your most beautiful work is done when we can't see it. And Lord, I know for me personally, I can look back on my recovery process and I can just see your hand working through all of it. But when I was in it, I couldn't see. And so, Lord, I would ask that whoever's listening today, that you would bless them with Such a profound sense of comfort, such a profound sense of being seen and understood and of not being alone, that they would know without a shadow of a doubt that you are with them. Lord, I ask for this comfort because, Lord, you know, we can't see you and we can't audibly hear you. We have your Bible, but it is often a confusing thing that we just we just don't understand or we feel like it's not for us and so i would ask lord that you bridge that gap of our mortality of our limited understanding and perception that you bridge that gap and make us feel your love today so that we might know that our faith isn't dependent upon us you give us faith and so even if we have a tiny little fragment of faith it's a gift from you and you once you've started a work, you don't lose track of it. You don't forget. Once you've started that work, you will bring that work to completion because you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Jen. I'm Sharon Batters, and you have been listening to the Help and Hope Podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. And my guest today is Jennifer Greenberg, and she has written a book called Not Forsaken, I hope that our conversation has been like salty peanuts for you, that you got to hear more, especially if you're struggling with some of those deep, deep, dark, broken places that we've just kind of touched on today. We're going to have uh, Jen's contact information in our show notes and where you can get her book. Go to markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you can learn more. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.